What's going on, Commonwealth? And welcome back to the Bluegrass Soccer Cast, your home for all things soccer right here in the state of Kentucky. I'm your host, Jimmy Martin, and today we have another fantastic episode. Uh, apologies for being off for a week last week. Uh, we had a little bit of uh, travel delays and a little bit of uh, some scheduling issues, but we are back this week, ready to rock and roll. So let's go off the top. And I want to kind of pick back up off of a little bit of conversation we had last week, right? So we were talking about promotion and relegation, and we were talking about, you know, how challenging that can really be. So just kind of reviewing what we talked about last week, um, you know, the investors in some of the upper division leagues uh, and some of those teams don't really want to take a chance on losing that status of their investment. So therefore, they may not be really willing to be taken down a rung, going down the pyramid, um, and therefore it gives that apparent appearance of uh, a lack of promotion or relegation. Uh, we also talked about a consistency issue in some of the smaller leagues, leading to a large turnover of clubs. Uh, and we also kind of talked about, you know, it, there are a lot of other issues out there that are preventing from making this a thing if you know what I mean. Um, one of those things is the struggles of aspiring semi-professional teams. So a couple of things that I want to to dive into this week about this topic, right? Uh, but before we do, I want to acknowledge uh, that it is not easy to start a club, right? Like it is not easy to be a business owner and to start from complete scratch in uh, a arena that could be really packed with teams or it could be completely barren and you have to, you know, create this idea of competition and have to create this idea uh, for the community to really rally behind, right? So, you know, I I have helped BGFC in the past. You know, I wasn't there um, when they first started during their successful very first year, uh, but I was able to hop on after that and really kind of help them grow. And you know, I can say from that experience, it is it is not easy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And if you're not just like flush with cash, right? If you're not an owner of a wealthy business or you're not the mogul of some tech company, you know, it can be really time consuming and really draining to just constantly be making cold call or cold email after cold call and cold email. So, you know, you have to think about it as like, this is something that you have to really put a lot of time, a lot of effort into. And if you're not serious about it, it's going to continue to have some of those issues that some of the other clubs that we talked about are having, right? So the first thing is, you know, you either have to be, or you have to find a wealthy owner um, or investor that is willing to equal or exceed your own ambitions, right? So what does that mean? So you've got to find the funding for your semi-professional team, right? Uh, it can easily cost in the neighborhood of 10 grand a year or more to start a team from scratch. And that's, you know, some of the basic stuff, right? Like your league fees, your um, kits, your equipment and stuff like that. Let alone does that not include your uh, paying your players, which you should pay your players. That doesn't necessarily include field rentals or, um, you know, 
getting the proper equipment for the team, you know, if they can't afford it. So all of that every year over multiple years is going to be really, really expensive. Uh, and it's going to get more and more as the higher league could go. So if you're looking at, you know, a budget for a USL one club, which would be kind of the current bottom level of professional, um, that we have right now, those budgets are going to add a zero to that. They're going to be a hundred grand a year at least, you know, but so if you're starting the club, you either have to be, or you need to find somebody who is wealthy and willing to spend the money to create the new brand. But then you have to find good quality, high end talent in order to succeed on the field. Right? So it can be very difficult to attract that level of successful player, you know, due to the little to no pay, which again, you should be paying your players at professional, semi-professional. It doesn't matter. You should be paying them. Uh, but two, uh, the lack of exposure of the team and for the player, right? Uh, you know, if the players don't know that a team exists, they're not going to go to tryouts. They're not going to send in tape. You know, they're not going to make connections through their current coaches and so forth. So you really got to get the name of the team out there, but also as a player, right? You have to take the time to build up your, um, your reputation that you are a top quality talent. Uh, and, and that takes time, you know? So then, you know, if you kind of think about it, once you do find those players, right? you have to find them the ones who are willing to play uh, for a little to no pay. And you have to find good, passionate players that are willing to put in the work, even if the result isn't necessarily the compensation that they would be wanting, right? Uh, but you can kind of offset that, right? You know, if you look at the collegiate model with NIL deals, uh, which is name, image, likeness deals, you know, if you can help broker some deals with some players to uh, work with one of your investors uh, at a uh, a car dealership or something. That's just the, the classic example. That could be an easy way to give some supplemental income to the players outside of potential game checks that they might get. So finding a wealthy owner, finding quality players, two big challenges. And the next one might even be even harder than that. You have to build your fan base. If you're going to have any level of success, I don't care if it's one championship or 20 years worth of championships. It starts with a strong fan base. So you have to keep a the team together in an atmosphere that is highly ambitious and that will really help them build towards getting that, that fan engagement, right? Uh, it's not easy. It's probably going to be the hardest part. While, yes, winning helps, uh, that that is something you can't bank on. And so you have to look at other things, right? So you've got to send the team out into the community. You've got to go to the local elementary school and read to the kids while you've got your kit on, or at least your jersey on. Um, you know, you've got to go to the local events, the local fairs, the local uh, parades and whatnot. And you've really got to put your name and your players out there to really build that fan base. You've got to give away things. You've got to you know, really spread your word that you're there. And this will go back to helping uh, that previous um, issue with finding quality players, right? The more people that know that your team exists, the more experienced and the more 
or I'm sorry, the higher talented players that you're going to attract. So the next big issue is competition, right? And that kind of can come from a couple different angles, right? So if you're in a super competitive environment, let's say you're in a big metro area, say you're in Louisville, just for example, uh, you have to compete with not only uh, other sports, uh, other entertainment, other life responsibilities, but you know if you're in a larger metro area, you have to compete with other semi-professional soccer teams, right? So if you're looking at you know Louisville again, just using it as an example, uh, I think that's one of the reasons that the alliance uh, fell through. You know, Metro Louisville has a pretty good hold on that team, or I'm sorry, on that city. Um, but so does Lou City and all of their academies. You know, they've got all of the top young talent in those. So if you're trying to break into that market with a new semi-professional team and you're not being able to pull from one of those rosters, you are really going to struggle, man. But the inverse of that is also true, right? You know, if you're in Pikeville, Let's 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 pull up our far uh, most eastern uh, community here in Kentucky, Pikeville, Kentucky. Beautiful place. There is no other semi-professional team, so you don't have that competition. But now you have to create the competition. You have to create the environment. You have to set the stage. You have to set the standard, and that is not easy either. You know, out in Pikeville, there's a whole lot to do as far as like outdoor activities. Um, and, you know, just general, like, connecting with family and being responsible in your community. But as a new a semi-professional soccer team in that city, you've got a lot of heavy lifting to do to set the standard and to set, you know, what things could look like in that community, right? And building a reputation and establishing a team uh, in a local community takes time. I keep saying that this is not something that you can just roll the dice one year, have 300 people at your games, and then every other year you have 10. You know, if that happens, then you missed a step. Something is, isn't clicking. Your community isn't reacting to you for some reason or another, right? So you got to go back and you got to think about, okay, well, we've got the players because we keep winning, but we don't have the fans. So what are you going to do to kind of increase your fan base engagement, and to increase your, your fan base uh, overall. Another big issue that some of these smaller clubs face is facilities. If you don't own your own stadium or your own training facilities, or you don't have the means to build something like that, you are really going to struggle because rental fees can be costly. And I'm not talking about, you know, going to, uh, you know, if you're in Lexington, I'm not even talking about using Transylvania University's fields. I'm talking about using just the local parks of rec. <laughs> you know, if you're using that three nights a week at $50 a, a night, you know, that's going to add up. It's $150 a week uh, times, I don't know, semi-professionally, you're probably looking at 20 weeks. So, you know, do the math down in the comment, but I think that's, you know, it's three thousand dollars just in field rentals, right? And if your whole yearly budget is only ten grand, that's a pretty good chunk of it. That's a third of it, right there, gone. But there are other things that you have to consider, right? Your league may have standards. You may not be able to play on an artificial turf. You may not be able to pay to play um, on a field that has football lines 
You know, they may have, the league may have specifications on field dimensions and size. You know, you can't play on a super small condensed field. Um, you may have to have a, a certain PA system or certain capabilities of a PA system. You probably have to have a scoreboard. You know, there there's just a lot of things that go into facilities that you don't think about when you're thinking about starting a team, right? You don't think about, uh, you know, does a scoreboard work? Do I have somebody to run the scoreboard, you know, uh, et cetera, like, it it can be costly to have uh, the different people uh, be in those kind of positions. So if you've got a PA and you've got a scoreboard operator, you know, you've got media people, like it, it gets really expensive, right? So again, if you're trying to stick to that 10 grand budget, uh, you're going to be, you're going to be strapped and stadiums are going to cost more than just rec fields, you know? So if you're looking at renting a local high school stadium, it could be like $600 a game, you know? do that for 10 games that's six grand plus your three grand for practices that's nine of your 10 grand for your yearly budget right there so now what are you gonna pay your whole team off of 10 grand good luck uh but even outside of your home game another thing that's gonna be really expensive is travel and we all know travel is not cheap you know if you're trying to book a vacation right now it can be very expensive you know i just got back from a trip myself with work it was really expensive and I didn't have to pay for anything. But, you know, if you don't have a, a deal with like a local travel company or a bus company or something like that, you know, it can be really expensive uh, to travel because if you don't have those services right, now you're passing those costs along to your players. Right? So you see where this is going. If you're not paying them or you're barely paying them, Plus, they now have to get themselves to matches. That That's a, a net negative, you know, for a lot of people. So they may be able to come to the home matches, but they may not be able to get off work that extra time. They may not be able to uh, carpool. They may not be able to, you know, have their, you know, their family members watch their kids or, you know, anything. You know, there are so many factors that go into it. Uh, while yes, carpooling can be a great chemistry builder for a team, want to acknowledge that. If your players can't afford to the gas to get to the game, be done. <laughs> it, it becomes very uh, inhibitive for uh, the players to go. So, you know, other things to consider for these smaller clubs, right? Uh, and this is kind of like the last big thing that I want to talk about. Establishing a brand and a winning culture. That is really challenging. And it's something that can make or break a team, right? We all know that culture is everything. Look at the Miami Heat. That's their whole slogan, P culture. Uh, shout out to Udonis Aslam for really setting the standard uh, for that, that team. Um, but it, it's true. Culture is everything. If you have a toxic environment, don't care how much you're winning by your players are going to be miserable your coaches are going to be tired of dealing with it your front office staff is going to be burnt out for having to to try and polish up a turd every time you know they get to uh, a match day so you know you've got to really work on that chemistry of, of the team and you can't have 15 players on a roster that all want to be the number one striker you know you got to build your roster right 
You've got to have a front office staff that is not going to demand 100K uh, just for selling five tickets every game at $10 a piece. That math doesn't make sense. So you've really got to have the right people and the right culture in your team to make everything happen, right? So from players to coaches to front office staff, it is essential for the long-term health of the club for everyone to be on the similar page. They don't have to be on the same page. You just have to be on a similar page. You know, your players need to to perform on the field, but they also need to be good brand ambassadors off the, the field as well, right? So that means going into the community, wearing your your merch, you know, wearing your their uh, warm up uh, kits and stuff like that, you know, wearing all of that stuff uh, out so that they can help promote the brand. But while they're there, they kind of represent you in the right way, right? You know, you don't want uh, to see your branded materials uh, out at a, a certain kind of club uh, that you know some people like to enjoy. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that would be the most awkward way I've ever tried to explain that. But it's true. You don't want to see your brand in places that you you wouldn't expect it. Um, so you have to think outside of the box with that, right? Like you want them to wear it out, be proud of the, of the team they play for, but also, should probably put some guidelines in there as well. You also have to, to think about establishing your brand beyond social media. It is so easy, cheap, free even, uh, to get your brand out there on social media. Look at this podcast. You know, I have spent a few dollars here and there on some different equipment. But as far as for our social media, uh, it's only cost me a few hot takes. Shout out to Greenville. Uh, but... You know, you have to be able to expand beyond social media if you're trying to be a successful club, right? So you can't rely on your few hundred followers to fill your thousand-seat stadium. Not going to happen. You have to consider other things, right? You have to consider using billboards. If your community has a lot of empty billboard space or available billboard space, that's a great place to advertise. Uh, I think you should have some kind of canvassing of the town uh, or painting the town of your certain, you know, team color um, to where every business in like the downtown area or in like a major uh, entertainment district all have your team schedule or some kind of a poster or something on their window giving you that advertisement. Uh, you know, there, there are hundreds of ways to increase the community connection. Uh, but if you're not putting your brand out there and you're not showcasing like, Hey, we are affiliated with this company right here that you love and that you want to, to be a part of. So let's, you know, if you're going to this bar, Hey, you'd probably like to come out to one of our match. You're going to this hair salon. Hey, you'd probably like to come out to our match. You've got to do those little things. Otherwise not that many people are going to know and or care. You know, once you burn out your, your couple hundred of followers, What's next? You know, that's when you're going to see those downturns in attendance. And, you know, if your players, your coaches, your front office staff don't buy in, you could be in trouble. Because at that point, people are going to start looking at other opportunities. And if your best players leave and 
you know, your coaches get upset, you're going to be in a hurt. But if you do get the buy-in from the coaches, the players, the front office staff, you really can hook your community. And that doesn't even require winning. You can have a terrible team, but as long as your players are invested in the community and your uh, coaches are out there doing clinics and your front office staff is, you know, working to canvas and or paint your town, your team's colors, you're set. You know, yeah, winning helps. Um, but if you've got that culture of grinding, irregardless of, you know, what's going on outside of uh, or off the pitch, I should say, then you're, you're in a pretty good spot. But that's where we're going to kind of wrap up this week's off the top. I do kind of want to pick up a, on a similar topic for next week in kind of a part three of this promotion and relegation conversation uh, where I want to kind of look at developing and creating more competitive uh, teams in a region. So I want to look at our state, right? And I want to look at some of our communities in the state that could be primed for a UPSL team or maybe even higher. So make sure you come back next week for that. Uh, but now let's go to the bottom line. So we've got two matches for most of our teams to talk about since we, you know, we were off last week. Um, and we're going to start with the big guys, the team in purple, the boys in purple, Blue City. Uh, they had a fantastic one nothing win a um, couple weekends, what, two weekends ago at this point, over San Antonio, the defending USL championship team. Uh, it was great. Nice way to see them kind of keep the mojo going, right? They they won a couple of games in a row. You know, that win against Lexington, the win against Detroit, then they do a big win against San Antonio at home. Nice to see. But then you go to this past weekend's game where they had a nil-nil draw against Charleston. And not trying to bash on Lou City here, but it was kind of a boring game. Uh, it was not one that seemed like either team really wanted to win. There was not a create a lot of creativity by either team. And, you know, there's a lot of just kicking it down to the other team, getting kicked it the other way. And it, it was just kind of boring to me. Um, if these are supposed to be the two best teams in the East, you know, currently uh, Charleston two points clear of Lou City uh, in first place, then I think the Western Division have the most straightforward, easiest pathway to a, a league championship of all time. But if you look at, you know, Lou City just beating San Antonio the week prior, maybe not. Um, and kind of like I mentioned, Lou City still sits in second place. Um, but, you know, they're right within the striking distance of Charleston. You know, if Lou City can pick up a win this weekend, Charleston catches an L, boom, right back in first place where they belong. Let's frolic on over to Lexington now, uh, where they finished up a three-game homestand, um, including a huge, massive, first-in-franchise-history 2-1 victory over South Georgia. Um, and, and that was big. You know, the stadium was rocking. The teams were excited. Uh, and, and it was literally the best possible outcome that they could hope for. Then we moved to last weekend. Uh, which was, was a 2-0 loss to Greenville. And this was a bad result for Lexington. Uh, 
Lexington had a man sent off in the 27th minute after a forward-facing slide tackle that did not deserve a red card. I pulled no punches about that. That was not red card worthy. Yellow card? Possibly. I'll give you that. Possibly. Uh, but it was not red card worthy. And from that point on, the referees just had their hands all over this match. I think I even caught a yellow card at one point. I don't know for what. But they were literally passing out yellow cards like they were standing on Ocean Avenue. Like, it was insane. There were so many yellow cards. Um, you know, after the red card, Lexington being down to 10 and having to face the 11 of Greenville and the three officials, there was no way they had a chance. No way. But in the end, you know, Greenville did win despite their best efforts to waste every possible second of that match. Um, you know, it, and even to that that point there, you know, the the officials kind of acknowledged that Greenville was trying to waste time by adding nine minutes of extra time to the second half there. So, I don't know. It, it was not what Lexington expected in any way, shape, or fashion. You know, if you look at some of the comments from their coach after the match, uh, but it, it was just not not the best day for them. So I'll be really interested to see what happens, you know, when they go to Greenville or here in a couple of weeks to see if the uh, those same officials are refing that match or just to kind of see what happens, you know, if it's a full 11 v. 11. But hop on over to the women's league now. Uh, the NWSL, where Racing Louisville had two uh, West Coast uh, matches. They had a 2-2 draw against Angel City. Uh, and this was a really nice comeback uh, draw for the ladies in Lavender, as at one point they were down 2-0. You know, Angel City, one of the probably the, the highest um, investment firm uh, for that team uh, versus, you know, uh, Racing Louisville. Uh, then shifting to this past weekend, uh, a less than desirable uh, 0-2 loss to Portland Thorns. Um you know, the, the loss was the first time that Racing Louisville has lost this year, or this season, I should say. Um, I guess calendar year two as well. Um, that game, Portland got two goals early, and it was pretty much over. You know, I think by the 30th minute, they were, you know, Racing was already down two goals, and it was just, that's not a, Providence Park is not a place you can go down 2-0, I don't care who you're playing, and and get a victory out, but you know, Portland is really good, um, and they're probably the best team in the NWSL, so this loss may not be as bad as as we see, as we think it could be. And with that, transition over to the semi-professional ranks, uh, where we had uh, Pumas Premier out of Paducah slash Mayfield. Uh, they had two matches over the last couple weeks. Uh, they lost 2-0 to zero to the defending UPSL Kentucky and Tennessee Premier Division champions Beeman United. Uh, and then they did have a win. Uh, they beat the Midwest Hooligans 3-2, to two, uh, which was a really nice win for them. Uh, you know, considering right now they're still outside of the playoffs, you know, but we have several weeks to go. And that win really puts things in an interesting perspective uh, within our state, right? So if Pumas was to knock off BGFC in a couple of weeks when they play on May 21st, Pumas could be really primed for, you know, getting that uh, fourth or fifth um, playoff seed. 
you know, it seems like for that division, you know, the upper tier, the St. Louis City Academy team, the pre-college developmental uh, team, Beeman United, you know, that seems to be a solid top three, right? But from there, things get kind of interesting, you know. So, Oma's giving themselves a nice victory over Midwest, and I think it'll really come down to that matchup on May 21st against BGFC to kind of see who sneaks in at potentially the three, four, five seed uh, to kind of round out the, those uh, those playoffs. But with all of that, uh, we're going to move to our last segment today, our interview segment. This week we had the head coach of my Murray State Racers, Mr. Matt Lodge, uh, where we talked about all things collegiate soccer and how the races are looking heading into the spring and fall season. So take it away. What's the vibe around campus right now? Uh, I think everyone's about to gear down for spring break next week. So I hope you'll be ready to. Everyone's going to be safe and make some good decisions over spring break. But yeah, starting to gear down last couple of days of practice for us. And, you know, some sports around campus are wrapping up with their season. And obviously, you've got baseball and softball kind of in the middle of theirs. So a little quiet around campus this week. Yeah. Well, especially quiet. And it's a little bit odd to be quiet because our racers aren't playing basketball anymore. I'm not used no. to this, coach. Oh, they got, yeah, I think they've done earlier than than they want, you know, but I think both men's and women's did a fantastic job in the new conference and competed well. Um, you know, I think everyone sees the competition, but I think for us especially, and I know other coaches are saying, it's the travel that made the biggest the biggest difference, I think. You know, you're not driving 45 minutes to UT Martin, you're now flying to Northern Iowa and Des Moines and, yeah. and Chicago, so it's a bit of a difference, but we'll get used to it. Well, I'm, I'm relatively familiar with those Missouri Valley schools because I've both worked outside of Chicago and I did, for my master's work, I did a couple of projects with UIC. And then I also lived in Iowa for a time. So I'm very familiar with like Drake and Northern Iowa and stuff like that. So it, it is a bit of a travel from uh, from Murray to get to those places. It is when we don't have, you know, we don't have a international airport any closer than Nashville. So it's, it is, it could be a bit of a problem, but I think, you know, we, we drove this year, the soccer team, we drove to uh, Chicago, and I, and I like it. I think it's good good team bonding and, you know, just makes those trips a little more. Last yeah, a little a, longer, which, again, I think is good for the team bonding. On a bus, though, that's, what, eight hours, nine hours? Uh, Chicago was six. Was six. Okay. Nice. We uh, we go to Oklahoma this year, but we'll fly to that one. I'm not, I'm not trying to drive nine, ten hours to Oklahoma. <laughs> so you're playing the Sooners, huh? Yeah, they came to us this year. Um, and then How did I miss that? Yeah, we played them in the fall. It was a it was a good game. We had a, a tough non-conference, a lot of travel, and then I don't know who made our schedule that that tough, but uh, <laughs> I think I you did. Yeah, we played um, Oklahoma on a Sunday afternoon. And it was you know it was really really tough game. We uh, could have gone one zero up early on, and we didn't. You know that changed the the game, but it was good. Um, it's good experience for a lot of younger players. Play some Power Five schools and things like that. I always like to do that. Right now, I did see you all play this year, um, and I am completely off my script at this point. Like I am, I am all over the place. Um, that's Thank nothing you. unusual for our listeners. Um, I did see you all play here at Western. So talk to me about what that matchup uh, and that kind of rivalry between you and uh, the the team here at Western. What does that mean to your team? Uh 
I think Jason does a fantastic job there. You know, they're always a solid program in Conference USA. And I think the last couple of times we've played them, it's, it's either been a draw, or whether it's spring or preseason. We've not played them in regular season for a while. Um, but yeah, we've both been in state. You know, we often recruit same kids, same clubs, and a lot of our players know a lot of their players. So there is that, you know, that rivalry and that just, um, I guess, the um, bragging rights. But when it's preseason, you always like to get, you know, a number of players on. So there might be right. spells of the game that are a little more intense than others. And, you know, um, I think we did a penalty shootout this year at the end just to give our uh, players some experience in that. So fun fact, I left before that was like finally decided because I saw like, you know, the teams were like about to shake hands or whatever. So I like bolted because it was raining, right? And I yeah, missed it the shootout. Oh, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything, you know, serious or anything. It was just kind of, you know, we were able to get some players in and right. we got all three of our keepers to play. One came in for the shootout and stuff. So it's just, I think it's just a nice way to, you don't get to practice penalties under any kind of pressure. You know, you can do it in practice and then you won't take penalties for three months until tournament play. So it was just nice. I think it was Jason's idea. I agreed it would be a nice nice way to kind of, for us as coaches, to see who would our five takers be come come real time. So it was it was different, but it was it was definitely beneficial, I think. Well, saying that, we missed, pen- we missed two penalties during the season, so I guess it wasn't. Oh, <laughs> well, no. Yeah, at least you, you had a practice at it. Yeah, exactly. So we, we, uh, we, but we did score a penalty. We played UNA on in the spring game on Sunday and we scored a penalty in that game so I did see that result um, I don't know how I missed the Oklahoma one last year because I would have went for that well I've got uh, we've not released the schedule yet but we have um, a pretty big, we've got a pretty big team coming in on a Thursday before we go play Oklahoma on a Sunday so is it a team that wears blue and white it it may be Oh, let's go! That's why I wish I wish we had some lights so we could get it on a night game and get a good crowd, you know. But I think even still, just just having some uh, some teams that you know, again, Oklahoma in the past, we've had IU come and Ole Miss, you know, to have those teams come to our, our place is, um, you know, I think speaks volumes of what we're trying to do here and, and kind of our national name. Yeah. Oh, who is that for coach? This is Jordy. I'm a Newcastle fan. So oh, okay. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so Newcastle was your team growing up then? Because you're from Doncaster? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Donny Lark. But yeah, I'm from Newcastle. Uh, I'm not from Newcastle. That's all right. I was like, wait, I'm from Newcastle. Um, me and my cousin, one of my best friends growing up, um, picked Newcastle early on. We, uh, my, my dad and my brother are Sunderland fans. Oh, okay. So get Did they crazy. like the documentary? Yeah, they like the uh, they like Sunderland, which obviously they fell off the face of the earth lately, which is nice <laughs> for us. And we're like the richest team in the world, so yeah, we're on the beautiful up. stadium. Oh my god! Yeah, they're they're going to do some renovations apparently too, and some training ground upgrades. So I don't know how you can make it any better. No, well, they I like how they've done their business. They've not gone out and just gone for you know Mbappe and Messi. They've gone and. Or, you know, young players or players that right. are going to build up in the future. So it's, it's been it's been a fun project for watch. Eddie Harms did a great job. So, you know, we'll kind of use that as a pivoting point because I've always liked my audiences to get to know um, our guests more as people, more so yep. than accomplishments and stuff like that. But, you know, talk to me about what role, especially in England in what the late 90s, early 2000s, 
What was that like growing up in that such soccer-rich culture? I think it's just that everyone plays. Everyone plays, um, you know, football or soccer growing up. So you didn't really have a choice. But the only choices you had was you either played for a professional academy, which is what I did, or you played for your local team. Sorry, I got my two-year-old here with her iPad. No, are you good? Um, Coach, you're a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, I've got two daughters. I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old and getting the house ready. So we've just got a bit, bit going on. But yeah, just growing up, I had a, I've got an older brother. He played, you know, so I always wanted to try and compete with him and his friends and keep up with them. Um, in England, it's not really a high school sport. You'll have a high school right. team, but it's just, you know, that's kind of more wreck. Um, I think the biggest difference is growing up over here and playing soccer. I feel like you have to, you have to have money to pay and play in England. It's, you know, you, you don't pay to play. You get picked up. You get scouted. You get you get the honor of playing and representing your your, your town or whatever it may be, your club. Um, you know, so typically they're hand-picked players. So you have to be good to kind of go anywhere with it. And that's exactly something I was talking about recently with um, our producer of the show. You know, the, the model in other countries, especially in like England, you know, it's not pay to play. It's very much like, you know, we will pay you to play more or less, you know, yeah, with exactly. free stuff and travel. Which which is great for the players, but then when you look at it from a coach's standpoint, so where I'm at now, um, you can pay thousands and thousands to go. Because in England, you need to have a certain level of coaching badges. So you can't coach a certain age group unless you've qualified. As those courses are you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to take. But then you don't get paid to coach or paid much to coach. So it's like, well, I'm paying more to get educated and to be licensed. Is it worth doing it? Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's, it's a double-headed sword. You either kids have got to pay to play or um, coaches don't get paid as much or, you know, or very little. Um, so I think there should be some element of cost, but I don't think it's something where it's where people can't afford to do it or get turned away or don't get the opportunity. All right. Anything like that. Well, and, and the coaching system here in America is very similar, right? Like you have to go and you have to get the different licenses and, you know, all of those things cost. I, from what I understand, some clubs will cover that cost, but if you're at a high school or something, they're not going to cover that cost. Yes, it, it can be tough. I think most, most yeah, like you say, most club school will cov cover it. A lot of colleges will. Um, I'm hoping to continue my education. I know my assistant Paul's just completed his B license. Um, nice. The U.S. Federation. He's, he does a great job. And he's just um, he's just applied to be a coach educator too. So he's trying to take the instructor course where he can teach coach. He can coach the coaches, which is something I'm I'm very lucky to have him. him you know, in my in my corner on my staff. So uh, yeah, just learning from each other each day. Because you all are hosting something during spring break or or maybe another time where you're doing like a coach's clinic, right? Yeah, we just had it this past weekend. We had about past 12 week, coaches okay. come in. Um, you see them all over the country, and, I, and I've never been to one or hosted one. Um, and I had a few high school coaches who I've got close with over, you know, the time I've been coached, and they've asked, Hey, would you mind if I bring my staff in? You know, could we watch a session? Could we do this? And then out came this idea: let's hold, let's hold a symposium, open it up to anyone. Um, and we got twelve people. It was, it was really good. I think, you know, no matter what level or age you coach, I think you can always share and, and network. And I learned things from talking to high school coaches. 
you know, that maybe things I don't have to deal with, but they have to deal with, or how we can take something that, how they can take something that we do and, and adapt it and put it in their system. So it's just good to share ideas. You know, we're not, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, we'll sit and come up with sessions for our practices and we're crazy. I think it's never been done before. I think every session has been done. Every passing routine has been done, you know, so it's just nice to a hundred times over. Yeah. So it's just nice to, to share ideas. And I think that's one thing that I, I pride myself on is I'm, I'm open-minded. You know, I haven't, I have a system of philosophy and ideas, but you know, I, they could, there's a reason they call it the beautiful game, but the, the reason I think it's called the beautiful game is because it's, it's seen so many different ways. There's so many different styles of playing. If all coaches thought the same, it'd be a very boring sport. Absolutely. And that, takes me into one of my questions I wanted to make sure we asked today. Like, talk to me about that coaching philosophy and kind of how do you shape your team? Well, I, I'm a big attack-minded coach. You know, I always want to be on the front foot, the aggressor. That's why I like you, coach. <laughs> Appreciate it. We, you know, we've had seven players of the year in nine years, and eight of those have been either offensive players or, or a newcomer who was a forward. So, you know, we're big on, on providing the gun, you know, the firepower sorry you know can we get after teams um, we want to get it forward we, we try not to overplay at the back um you know i think just doing some research for our coaches symposium i read i read a lot of articles on tran in transition and, and where goals are scored in game you know if it's not a set piece it's in transition you know get, either giving the ball away or just winning the ball up higher up the field as opposed to building it from your keeper through the back, through the midfield. Right. You know, th those goals are great and in, in theory look unbelievable and everyone wants to play that way. You know, but on the odd occasion you score, you know, so we want to be efficient in transition. When we win the ball, can we break within two or three passes and have a shot on target? And let our, we've got a lot of pace up front, which I love pace. And I, I want confident players that are going to drive at people and take shots and take risks. Um, and then just, you know, while we're out recruiting, we want, players that have that mentality of working hard and the winning mentality so that's really what you're looking for is you know those aggressive players the people that are going to be you know taking not crazy shots obviously like you're not going to be shooting from half field and expect to make yeah. it every time maybe occasionally but you know so what are you looking for when you're going out on recruiting i think it's position specific you know obviously we want in midfield, we want some more technical players who read the game a little better. We might sacrifice some athleticism in there if it means they have a high soccer IQ and you know they can fill gaps defensively, gain passing lanes. Um, and then for our wingers, we want a lot of pace. Um, size really doesn't matter at that point, but then for our centre-backs, we want them to be big, strong, athletic, um, composed on the ball. So again, it's, I think it's all position specific you want your goalkeepers to be calm but you know secure with their hands good communicator so we have kind of a little shortlist for each position and what we look for in that aspect is i think it's really it's really easy to spot a good forward or a good attacker because you know they stand out yeah and the, the the defenders the defender and the keeper is hard to kind of a little harder should i say to to kind of stand out because you know they make one mistake in a game and cost them a goal. And then you automatically see coaches like, no, I'm not interested, cost them the game. Whereas a forward misses an opportunity. It doesn't matter. People forget. So I think it's just having that. And we're also recruiting, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds. We expect them not to make mistakes <laughs> at that age. Right. So, I've never made any mistakes. I don't know about you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I, I think that's a that's a great point to kind of pivot and and talk about like your home field there. You know, it is quite unique uh, in a lot of ways. So talk to me about what advantages does that give you, but also kind of what challenges does that present? Um, off, off field's kind of on the smaller end. I think it's the smallest it can be. And obviously in the NSA bylaws, it has to be a certain dimension. And I think we're right at the bottom there, um, which allows us to kind of press, get on, you know, get on top of teams early on. Um, I know when IU came here in 2019, we beat them 2-1 because we knew they wanted to pass and play um, and build from the back. So we just suffocated them on our smaller field and, won the ball up high. Um, and then obviously when you go and play, we went and played them the, f- the following year and that, you know, they have a men's team. So their field's Shoot. twice the size of ours. So that becomes <laughs> kind of a track meet. So we, you, you kind of um, try to play to your advantage when you're at home of, of, you know, having those tight spaces defensively, but then understanding, you know, when we have the ball, we won't have much room. So we've got to move it quicker. Um but yeah, I, I love our facility. I love I love where it's at, the location. We have a fantastic locker room, nutrition room right there. If people um, haven't been to that field to see a match, you absolutely have to. Like it is beautiful. Sit on the hillside, take the afternoon, relax. Bring your dog. Yep. Yeah. I used to live uh in Whitehall and then my wife our girlfriend at the time, she lived in Regents, and we would uh go up to like the upper floor and just watch the matches from like her her top floor room. Like it is beautiful that's great yeah we, we love it we even anytime a coach visits even the oklahoma coach mark came in here he was like wow you guys have got a fantastic little setup here i was like yeah we love it it's really traditional we have our brick built-in scoreboard and you know we just we added a fence several years ago um mm-hmm. won a few championships got a fence out of the put new, the banners up yeah the new benches and things so you know it's it's moving in the right direction our athletic director does an unbelievable job of supporting our program so we're very fortunate to have Nico here with us. Um, he played football here, so he understands that what works, the challenges, uh, and everything like that. So everything in between. So we we are fortunate to have him. So you you mentioned the athletic department there. Um, how do you and you know the overall Murray State athletic department? How do they help student athletes balance the demands of? practice and games and all that kind of stuff, but also with their academics, what kind of support systems are in place for them? We have very good people in our academic facility. You know, we have, uh, Matt Kelly, who's our, um, associate executive AD. He, he works with all programs. Um, Mandy and Rachel also work in our academic room where they'll, they'll be able to offer players children. Um, we have study hall where players that all athletes have access to that. Um, you know, all, all um all week so just just having that i think just having multiple people to go to and not everyone waiting on one person you know we have like say three three people that are waiting to help them with registration for classes um health scheduling around practices you know because we, we typically train in the afternoons we, we're looking to move to to train in the mornings in the fall so we're, they're working right now and with all our players on their schedules it's nice and then i'll just say hey go do go do this they have that help someone to help them um we have our incoming players who'll come in for a summer orientation this summer and they'll set up sign up with classes and meet our academic advisors i wouldn't say hold their hand through it but they'll you know they'll at least guide them in the direction as a former academic advisor of first year students it, it is a little bit of hand holding it is yeah <laughs> especially that first time because you know nobody at 18 you know we don't expect you to know exactly how to schedule your classes and stuff 
Well, I've, I've been coaching for nine, nine, coaching college for nine seasons now, and now some of the incoming players or recruits will ask me questions, and I'll be like, I don't know, I to ask someone else in the academic department, right? Um, so we mentioned earlier the transition to the Missouri Valley from the Ohio Valley. How do you still plan on keeping some of those old school rivalries with like Austin P, flush that P? Uh, EKU, Moorhead, and even Western, you know, a previous OVC member, how do you still plan on keeping some of those rivalries alive? I think some of them's quite easy. That they're, they're so close that it's an easy trip back and forth. You know, we'll play P in 2024. Um, we actually have them in the spring. We we play them coming up soon, yeah, April 15th. We'll have them and Beth will come in and we'll kind of do a three-way. You know, in the spring, you get to have five days where you can play, but you can play as many days as you like. So we'll do a couple of smaller games, 60-minute games, and um, that way we can get everyone in, rotate it in, um, and just, you know, kind of give some people some opportunity and also get some people back from injury and have, get them some minutes under their belt. Um, but, yeah, we've got a weekend in the fall where we have both SIUE and SEMO coming in. Uh, we just played SEMO a couple of weeks ago. So those, those ones that are relatively local, it's a no-brainer, if I'm honest. Um, there's some that, you know, I, I don't want to play again. If I'm honest, SIUE are a fantastic program. They're so hard to play against. But, you know, again, it's when it's not a conference game, there's a little less on the line. But, right, you know, I, I think they're just a program that we've competed against for so long that it's going to feel like a conference game. And you want those games going into a conference game. So you've you've been around that mentality and that atmosphere, things like that. So that road trip up to Moorhead or to Richmond, not looking forward to those. Uh, I'll be avoiding Moorhead, I think, for the time being. Um, yeah, you and most people. Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Alabama. I don't think I'll be driving there. But, you know, we go, we go to UT Martin. We play them soon. So right. those, those ones. I, I forgot about Martin. Yeah, P, CMO, Martin. You know, they're, they're a no-brainer. They're regionally, you know, travel wise it's easy trip it's cheap it's and it's, it's good competition too if i'm honest you know again like i said we, we played martin this year and it was 2-2 and it was just having that no rivalry of the past games and stuff right players get up for it so you, you moved into the missouri valley with belmont what has that rivalry been like good you know that they're they're a program that for me personally they beat us uh my First year as head coach, um, we were the two seed, so we got a bye to the semi-final, and they beat us in the semi-final. I think we outshot them twenty-five to three, and we lost two-one. So it's one of those where, again, that's the sport we play. It's a cruel sport. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those. That game still, as my first year as head coach, that's a game that still kind of hurts me today. So anytime we've got Belmont on the schedule, you know, I look forward to that game. Um, they beat us this year too. It's funny that. Our very first NBC game in history was against Belmont, and it's like, we just played for nine years. Yeah. Now it's good to carry that because it's a rivalry we take from from the OBC and we continue it into the NBC. So it's it's good to keep that rivalry for sure. And again, another local, yep, local rivalry. We'll recruit similar players, or, or should I say, from similar clubs, and might have the same kids on campus and stuff. So there's always that recruiting competition too. Sure. So, you know, now fully in the, the Missouri Valley, you know, you've got an old rival, you know, um, Southern Illinois, Carbondale. Um, but who are you really hoping to to build a competitive, I don't want to say rivalry, but at least a competitive spirit with in the Missouri Valley? I'd say, I'd say after this year, it's uh, Missouri State. They beat us in the final. Yeah. I think they're the best. Minutes. I think they're the best team 
in the league. They recruit well. Kirk's, Kirk's done a phenomenal job there. He works on the U.S. setup with the scouting, scouting for the national team. So he, you know, yeah, has access to all these good kids, and and, it, and it's great for the conference because you know if they if they're recruiting that highly and, and playing at this standard, then we have to keep up. Um, so, but certainly that I want to compete against the best of the best, and in in the MVC right now, that's Balpo and that's Missouri State. Well, you know, you mentioned two teams there, Valpo and Missouri State. You beat Valpo in the tournament. You were the eighth yep. seed and made it all the way to the championship game against Missouri State. Again, unfortunately, a loss in the 55th minute, letting up a goal there. But how does the team rebound, and how are you using this spring to help prepare for that fall? I think just getting some people in their natural positions. You know, we had some injuries in the fall or some, some issues we had to kind of fix. We had to band-aid a few things until we got some people back. Um. You know, and, and towards tournament play, we were able to get those players into their nap. We had a freshman called Mary Hardy, who was our top scorer. Um, she made newcomer team. Out of our 20, what did we play, 22 games? Out of our 22 games, I think she played 13 or 14 at, at left back wow. in, in defense, you know, because she had to. And she's naturally a midfielder. You know, those last 10 ga- nine, 10 games, pushed her into midfield, scored five goals in that span. So she's someone, she scored the other night. She had an assist the night before, so... She is someone that, again, echoes that. If we can get them in the right place, you know, they'll, they'll do their job. Soraya Young's been a defender her whole life. We've moved her up front um, due to injury. Um, and and she, she lit the MVC up, and I'm excited to see what she does this year again, too. She's had a very strong spring so far, and she's coming back to her fifth year, and I know a few schools are worried about that, which is good. <laughs> yes, that is a good thing to have some fear in some of the other teams. What do you think is going to be the biggest strength of the team coming up this fall season? Some experience, definitely. Um, I think uh, in the fall we start. There were some games we started five or six freshmen at a time, which is great. I, I love that because I think it bodes well for the future. So now we've got those players. Are, I think from the final is we return out of the starting eleven, we return nine. You know, so I'm excited about that. Uh, and we've got two players that can slide straight in. To make up that eleven, that have experience. Then you've got seven, uh, eight freshmen, should I say, coming in. Who, if if half of them, not a freshman coach, yeah. If half of them or more can give you minutes, then you know we're in a good spot. So, I think just having experience and that bit of taste of losing in a final, I think, cut pretty deep. Um, and you can tell every day in training since we've got back, it's been intense. It's been with a purpose, and it's been, you know, we've talked about winning, winning championships. I don't care if we finished eight. We still want to talk about championships every single year. We made a final, right? So we were, you did it last year. You made four or five minutes away from winning a championship there. So that's where we want to be year in year out. So what what are you all working on as far as like you know your biggest weakness or things that you're really trying to improve this year? Obviously, don't give away too many tactical errors or anything. Just like that. our defensive, our defensive shape and our defensive area. I think we cost ourselves so many goals this year from some individual mistakes. So it's just being consistent. Um, not getting complacent and too comfortable with ourselves. Um, but defense, defensively, we need to improve. You know, we've always been a team that have scored a lot of goals and um, had teams on the back foot, like the Belmont game I had mentioned a few years ago. We outshot teams 25-3. to three. We can't let an opportunity, let a team have one opportunity and, and kill us off. We have to stay tuned in. So it's been a lot of defensive work and defensive shape. Um, and... My assistant, Paul's been working. He's, he's kind of our defensive mastermind. He's done a phenomenal job with that this spring, um, able, which has been nice. As a head coach, I think you can sometimes get too involved in sessions and 
which means you know you're kind of looking for certain things whereas with with a coach like paul um he can run a session i can stand on the podium there and, and kind of spectate and take notes and see things that maybe i wouldn't see if i was running the session so it's nice to have that overall look and and take on things absolutely so you know you'd also mentioned you know the incoming freshmen and stuff like that are there some players that you're really excited about that are coming into this team maybe even somebody just coming back from an injury yeah we've got um you know all our returners i'm excited about and then someone who was injured last year is uh hayley hogan that's she tore ACL her senior year of high school, so she redshirt last year. She's been packing training. She's looking sharp. We're able to get her a few minutes here and there in the first couple of games, but you know I'm, I'm excited to get her back. And then out of the freshmen, you know, there's uh, Ava Robertson out of Louisville. Um, has got some unbelievable pace. Um, she just won a state championship with um, South Oldham, so she's no stranger to winning championships. Um, just bags of pace. Um, got a right back and left back out of uh, Nashville. Um, Reagan Tate, um, she's playing at a high level in the ECNL right now at Tennessee Soccer Club. So I'm, and she's in a position that we need that more depth. So I'm excited to see her come in and compete for minutes. Um, then we've got Sammy Wilson and Megan Jeremiah, who are both from St. Louis, who bring a lot of pace, a lot of playmaking ability. And then we also have one of your locals, uh, Hannah Carter, coming in from Greenwood, and yeah, she'll do that. She'll do a great job. Um, pushing our, our our back four you know we always want competition all over the field um and then we've just got a recent commit from canada kate story um an international commit let's go so uh we've got we've got kate coming in and then we've got mckenna from columbus ohio she's recovering from a broken leg right now Howard. um which she'll be back and, and raring to go soon and then we have uh, some competition in between the sticks um, we have a goalkeeper, Gigi, coming out of Indiana, who's fantastic. Um, and hopefully we have a senior start who will likely start this year. So it's nice to have someone to learn learn from and take over the reins. Absolutely. So, Coach, last question for you here, um, and we'll let you get out of here. Where can people keep up with the Murray State women's soccer team? I think just on our Twitter account, you know, Racist Soccer, Instagram, same hashtag, Racist Soccer. Um, and then I think the Murray State Races app, they, they you can keep it with all the sports and you can download that on the app store and, and things like that so social media these days is the best best place to find anything and that will do it for this week's episode of the bluegrass soccer cast i want to thank you all so much for joining me uh really great conversation with coach uh really wishing them uh the best of luck as they you know kind of move into the summer and into the the fall season um, I really want to get out there and cover a match. So, you know, coach, whenever you see this, uh, let me know what kind of your big matchups are. And, you know, for fans of Murray State, you know, like myself, hey, go racers. Uh, let me know kind of what match you want me to cover. You know, uh, the Austin P match, you know, if they get the big blue team down there, uh, that could be fun to cover as well. So please make sure you stick to all of our social medias, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at BG SoccerCast. Uh, just to kind of help us grow the platform, give us a like and a follow on all of those. Uh, make sure you're listening on all of our platforms, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and others. Um, make sure you subscribe, like, follow, share, do all that fun stuff just to kind of help grow the podcast as much as we can. And this is Jimmy signing off.